You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. Friends, we've got uh, a great guest today, someone that uh, all Inverse listeners should be very familiar with, a dear friend of the Inverse community. We've got the one and only Jonathan Martin. Um, And just to say a little bit about him, he's a writer, poet, and speaker who has undergone his own experience of finding God on the of life. Um, Wherever he goes, his message is always the same, no matter who you are, Where you've been or what you've done, God is at work to bring beauty out of your brokenness. Um, Right now, he lives in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, where he serves as the pastor of the table and host of the Zeitcast podcast. And so, Jonathan, welcome to Inverse. I'm really excited to, at least this time, to be in conversation with you. I know you've been on the podcast multiple times. Thank you so much, Drew. I tell you... um, I'm thrilled to be here, and um, y'all know I'm not just saying this. I mean, well, I mean, and even there's a chapter in the book called It's Good to Be a Fan, and uh, one of the things I love is that having these friends in my life that I'm such fans of, and uh, you and Jared, I just believe in you so much, and I believe in the inverse community, and the community here has shaped me so much, um, all of the time they're spent, I mean, good gracious, the all the powerful voices that are even... Uh, that are here right now. So it's 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 just really humbling to get to uh, come and share because uh, I just so I and I think the podcast there's nothing else quite like it that all the things converge that happen here. I think it's so magical. So it's uh, really is an honor to to get to do this today. No, oh, thanks, Jono. We're we're all looking forward to the royalties. Um, (laughs) me too (laughs) i don't think i've ever got to those yet (laughs) in in my writing career is actual royalties (laughs) inverse has a is a very deep and thick understanding of sharing all in common and uh, jubilee economics we we look forward to um mate uh there's so many good things as we were praying uh, oh that makes us sound heaps more spiritual than we actually are with super spiro um but we're (laughs) Uh, we we're praying earlier. This is such a beautiful season for you. Um, uh, I'm not merely referring to the book, but I don't want to take away anything from everything that goes into a book. Um, uh, the the heartache, the the hours, the kind of sense of is this it? Is this is this this thing I'm being called to 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 share? Or, or what has to be cut back here? What's the? But mate, you've just got married as well. I know you. It's like mm-hmm. the eloping and all, but there's. We just want to say, yay, Jono. Like, it's pretty exciting, yeah. everything that's happening. You you can speak to that or not, or just jump into this new project, which I think we've been talking about for almost five years. Mm-hmm. Um, would you take that any which way you want to? Oh, well, yeah. yeah. No, no, I'm happy to speak to that. It is, there's so much new life happening right now. And uh, Jared, you know how feast or famine my life tends to be and it feels like it's like oh 
everything's happening right now all at once, um, which is because, you know, it's not like I, I want this to be clear. I don't live my life. I don't do things like just trying to find sermon illustrations. You know, it's not like I'm trying to turn my life into an allegory, but it is kind of wild, really, because, you know, some of these things, I feel like ideas I've been living for so long. I've even it's dawned on me in the last few weeks, even talking about this idea of resurrection coming in forms that you did not expect. Uh, I've thought a lot about how this really dives right in the deep end, but a friend in prayer several years ago who had this this kind of image and word over me about being a father. I remember landing in just a, a kind of a tender place because uh, biologically I'm not a father. And uh, I, I laughed thinking about this whole idea of resurrection coming in all these forms you would expect thinking, oh yeah, like it, it wouldn't have crossed my mind that these four kids would already exist and be in the world. Like that wasn't uh, like, this is not the form in which I expected, uh, but it's wonderful. And, um, and just a super exciting time. So th thank you for celebrating that with me and all the ways that you've walked with me through all of these seasons. It just makes this all the more sweet. Um, and makes reading um, what, you've wrenched um not simply from the heartache because this is this is a very different book to shipwreck i think that's important to say as as well um this kind of um sums up speaks to uh, prophetically this this moment that i think the whole um trump fallout um globally and what that meant for so many church spaces influenced by the the u.s um, would you speak to this book and like this, this project some? Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's interesting how even you, you know, you put that Jared, because I'm thinking, I feel like part of what happened for me, because I, 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 for me, this is a very different project than shipwreck, even though there is some heartache that's there, but I think part of what happened, because, you know, my vision really was to write this book, you know, <laughs> I mean, Shipwreck came out six years ago, I think, which is hard to believe. And um, I, I thought I was ready to jump right into this. And part of the reason I felt like uh, nothing worked for a long time and kept having to start all over is I think I, think I needed to live into resurrection more. Uh, you know, I think I just wasn't, I just, I wasn't all the way there. And so it's just interesting how, um, and I've, I th I probably I think a lot of us would mirror this experience in some way, these things that are happening in the world, um, the way they can reflect other kind of movements that are happening in ourselves. Because on the one hand, I feel like part of what's happened for, well, I don't know anybody who I feel like is, you know, have to be especially prophetic or something, just kind of um, paying attention, who's just attentive. Like, uh, yeah, just yeah. intuitive in any way, dialed into what's happening in the world there's there's been a lot of deep grief and a lot of pain and you know we talk a lot about being such an apocalyptic time and yet at the same time um i feel like and i and to me this is so much what the inverse community i mean would be such an example of is part of the beautiful new that's happening in the midst of all of this too so um so yeah that's kind of been my my sense of, of some of what's happening is on one hand, I feel like this road is one that I have walked in a very personal way, but in a lot of ways um, the book really feels like a 
I don't know, kind of a love letter to my friends too, who have been on this journey and many actually who are in all different kinds of places along the road and trying to do that in a way that is not too prescriptive and gives mm-hmm. people room to be wherever they, they are on, on the journey. Yeah. Well, I, I joked with you earlier. Um, the book almost reads like a uh, deconstruction devotional uh, for <laughs> those walking away from mega churches um, and looking for something Henry now esque like it's, it, it's got this, um, uh, this is an abstract theological considerations. This is um, this is a, a testimony for somebody who's been on the road themselves. Mm. Well, I, I, I love that you put it that way. It's uh, and and it's it's interesting because you know actually I feel like I I'm much more comfortable living in abstracts, and I think that's part of what um, <laughs> a little more time and air has done kind of in the bottle for for me with all this is, is feeling really pushed to have to go much deeper into my own experience and feel like it needed to be like just a deeply experiential book where nothing was theoretical. Cause you know, and I feel like, um, you know how much I enjoy the academic conversations and uh, the, the, that kind of theology proper, but it felt like this needed to be something that was grounded in, in my own rich experience and the experience of people around me. So I I did feel like pushed deeper into that in a lot of ways. That's so good. That's so good. Um, I can already think of multiple people that are going to, you know, uh, encounter this book and it's going to be such a gift. Um, And so I'm already got a list of folks who I'm going to be encouraging to read this book. I got to, I've been on the road a little bit recently, but I got to start it and I just found it really compelling even as you uh, started off the book. And so I'm excited about finishing as well as sharing it with others. Um, One of the things you already know is that we like to ground our time together in scripture. Um, and so, uh, do you have a particular text that you'd like to uh, ground our time with that we can explore later on? Um, yeah, and, and thank you so much for that. That means the world coming from you. Um, I, I would say in terms of a text, well, and it's um, been part of the fun challenge of, of writing this is kind of hanging a whole book on uh, the broad movements of the um the Emmaus Road story right. in Luke 24. Yep. So I would, uh, um, I, I was thinking that would probably be the place it would, uh, where it would make the most sense to go. So, um, and I don't know if we want to do the whole text or not. Um, I think maybe for our purposes today, you know, one of the things I've been reflecting on and, um, you know, I've, we, we joke a lot of it. Jared, I think you've, you've heard me say before, like, I, I'll joke sometimes about how, like, we Pentecostals, sometimes we do make things up. <laughs> but, um, you know, my sense is I really don't feel like um, the, the kind of broad context of the book, I don't feel like these are things I'm just feel like randomly reading into the text. It feels like ways the text is kind of reading us. And I know one of the things that for me uh, in the last few years has felt kind of revelatory in terms of just kind of lighting up for me is this idea. Well, and going right to there, uh, Luke 24, verse 13. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And um, the text, of course, doesn't really give us any kind of concrete sense of 
why they're walking to Emmaus, whether or not their homes are there or uh, Emmaus could be kind of en route to their homes. Um, but what does seem clear to me here is that Jerusalem uh, is theologically home, uh, literarily in the story, it's home. And this idea that the place that has been the sacred space, the place where the temple is, the place that really orients all of their lives um, is now the place they're walking away from after an experience of Jesus of Nazareth has been killed there. So this idea that the sacred space has become a crime scene for them. And uh, especially um, as they're walking away with the sense that, you know, Jesus has been crucified, therefore clearly is not actually, we must've been wrong about this. Uh, my reading of it is that ostensibly they're walking away from God. And um, that's where this story for me, uh, especially these last few years has been so alive with all these imaginative possibilities because I think so many of us are on that kind of road. And of course the, I mean, not to, I hate to skip to the punchline too early, but the conceit of it is that while ostensibly they're walking away from God, uh, Jesus is the God who walks with them on the road away from God, um, which is part of where, uh, you know, this, this story is so incredibly hopeful in the moment that we're in. And not just in the sense of trying to be optimistic or glass half full or anything like that, but this idea that actually this journey of disillusionment and despair is is necessary for an encounter with the resurrected one so good um i mean this last six years Jono, it's it's been a deal like on so many different fronts um and uh, uh drew and i at some stage um are gonna have um ellie who wrote beyond belief on the podcast and as her book makes so clear and I was making a graphic for inverse um, where I was uh, finding leaders um, uh, whether they be from uh, your part of the world or the Philippines or Brazil or Hungary or Australia or um, these uh, world leaders who have been deeply influenced by Pentecostalism of a type that um, I think it's safe to say we want nothing to do with whatsoever. And in the midst of that, there's been this mass fallout. Um, uh, and I mean, maybe to, to name names, people um, that we dearly love who used to be involved in Bethel that now um, even the mention of it is traumatic. Um, I mean, Hillsong, like we could actually name uh, that there has been um, places where people previously hoped um, to be agents of transformation that now um, uh, that dream is dead. Yeah. And um, uh, was that even my call or um, what was that realistic or was that um, as you have chosen this particular passage, you know, the inverse deal on the podcast where we usually ask people, when do you first remember encountering the Bible? I think we did that when we were in New Mexico hanging out mm -hmm. with um uh, um, Richard Raw and then uh, Father John Beer. Um, but in terms of, do you have particular moments when this passage became meaningful for you? When um, do you have a sense of when this passage was like, yeah, this is speaking to me in this moment. Th th this is what is tapping me on the shoulder. Well, you know, I think um, 
while I have, I don't know, sort of fond Sunday school memories of it, I, this was never a, a, one of the resurrection stories. It, it, it felt like this didn't really come alive to me until I think it really was somewhere 2016-ish, um, kind of surveying the destruction. And uh, and it's it has been interesting, isn't it, that in the same, that there's been this parallel movement that while we see this kind of apocalyptic moment politically where so many things are being exposed, that it seems like the same thing has been happening in the church for so many people. And as you said, uh, for so many people that have been in Pentecostal and charismatic spaces. So um, it's like Pentecostalism has had its own Constantinian moment. Yes. Where Pentecostalism yes. has found itself in power, whether it be in Chile, whether it be in yeah. um, uh, the, the U S or in Australia. And suddenly um, people are like, uh, I'm nicking off to the desert because this whole thing mm -hmm. is corrupt. So, like, mm -hmm. there's a huge need for desert ummers and ubbers in this moment. And I think that's something that your book is speaking to as well. Mm. I love that. I love that language of it being uh, this Constantinian kind of moment for Pentecostalism. I think that's so true. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I think, on the one hand, uh, and I don't, and I'm comfortable speaking to, to this kind of either direction, um, it, it speaks to certain failures within the movement that I think are real failures and real blind spots. And yet um, in there's this other part of me that thinks, and this is part of what's um, I don't know, just been fascinating kind of sitting with this story now a little bit longer is this idea that I think this road is such a necessary one for any mature expression of religion. Uh, I don't know if it's possible. I mean, can we think of a, um, are there any, any any great movements within the church that, you know, have it at some point had really significant failure? Um, I think even in terms of people's individual journeys, uh, the that path of disillusionment and despair really is the only is the only road to get to some kind of new life on the other side. So, and that you know, on on the one hand, I think we look at, I think rightly can name um, all kinds of real missteps. And then there's a way, I, I think a lot about that, that part of the passage where Jesus is kind of explaining uh, that these things were necessary according to things the prophets have spoken. And my sense of that is that, you know, not, that's not just about these very particular messianic texts, but the general movement of the prophets that, that suffering is necessary and um, looking in the mirror is necessary. <laughs> Humility is necessary. And uh, so in some ways it kind of feels like as painful as all of this is, especially for those of us who've had sacred experiences in these spaces that we hold dear, uh, there is a sense of kind of necessity to it as well, that some of the, um, that some of those idols be smashed and some of the things that ha are not healthy within us be confronted 
All right, so we just had some technical difficulties. Uh, Spiritual Warfare was trying to uh, shut Jonathan Martin down, but of course, uh, you know, the uh, the interwebs and its gaps do not have the last word, and so we are going to continue on. We're excited uh, for Jonathan Martin to continue in conversation with us. Uh, but Jonathan, on a more serious note, though, for real, um, you know, as you know, Jared kind of adapted that one question, but I'm really curious for you because you've spoken a lot about how, you know, this book was written out of, you know, just your own journey, your own lived experience. This is not just abstract thoughts that you're kind of grappling with. And so I'm really interested, you know, we usually ask, um, you know, did you encounter the scripture as liberative or oppressive? Um, But I'm kind of interested in hearing, you know, as that, 2016-ish moment is unfolding and so many people are experiencing and undergoing that moment in so many different ways. Um, Can you share a little bit about if you were encountering it as uh, your own faith, your own journey from that point up to the presence, like how, how have you experienced your faith as liberative, as oppressive, as something else, as a journey and shifting? Um, How would you kind of narrate your journey? Um, through um, these past few years? Mm. Such a great question. I mean, I think um, an experience that's probably been common for a lot of us, um, loss of a number of relationships and community that had been important in the past. Um, so I think there's that whole process of, kind of dis- trying to disentangle what kind of, because everything, you know, that's connected to community connects to our sense of identity. You know, when we have a particular people who have largely relation to them and then uh, relationships uh, starts to change. Um, and, and some of that, I, I, I go into it in, in, uh, in the book just a little bit. Honestly, I, Goodness, I don't think I've ever talked about this openly this way. And I want to, um, it's interesting how the the way that I grew up, there's, there's still a sense of kind of unease with this. You know, um, as a person in, in Pentecostal culture, honor is a thing and honor culture is a thing. And I think there are good and right ways to express honor and certainly talk in the book about wise gods and the role of trusted elders in our lives in general. But I think part of what really got put to the test for me is when you have certain folks within your life that you've looked to as authorities and um, they're not going on this journey and they don't think it's a good idea for you to go on the journey. (laughs) I think that's a lot of what happened for me in much more explicit forms is where there was a time in my life where it felt like there was at least a little bit of permission, a sense of room to kind of like, well, we don't exactly understand what you're doing, but we're glad you're out there uh, to where some of those confrontations became much more direct. Uh, It makes me think of that verse in Acts, that kind of, uh, oh, okay, so you come into those moments of, uh, do I listen to God or or humans here? And understand, because, you know, still believing that oftentimes in those in our those relationships in our lives are constructive and good and we need them but i think that was something that was especially painful for me because there's that that part of me that still wants that 
that blessing um, of some of those elder figures in my life. So I think part of it looked like for me not to over spiritualize it or something is it feel like it, it's just a lot of growing up faster and uh, kind of this challenge even to sort of um, instead of looking for that that kind of blessing from an elder to kind of be pushed to become one and in some ways to sort of give that that you don't always feel like that um, that you've been given in that way so but I think that was probably the most painful part for me was feeling like there was some of those relationships that were severed that previously for me had been really not just friendships, but like formative, like people who spoke into my life. That's, that's probably been the most challenging thing for me personally. Yeah, that's, that's pretty telling. And I think actually naming some of those dynamics, like whatever Pentecostalism will be next, um, other than, uh, uh, more of this like intoxicated with worldly power um, and associating uh, whether it be the anointing or favor with fame and notoriety and um, all things that, um, you know, the gossip columns will say is success. And then watching that light crumble um, th these kind of dynamics that you're naming and whatever comes next um is the ability to actually look at this stuff, right? Like, and I, I think in this moment, and one of the things that your book does is it gives people permission to find Jesus in their um, complete um, dismay, like with the form that formed them um, to have these kind of expectations when those expectations not only aren't realized, but um, are actually um, revealed um, for what they actually are and how devastating that can be to how one understands themselves in a network, in a community. And, you know, uh, even just interpersonal relationships, Jono, and what it is mm -hmm. to have people that you love who, um, uh, and then find out that they're wanting photos with people who had their photo taken with Trump. And it's like, what is going on? Like, what, what, what is that? Um, if you were to name the things, like the lens, how it's shifted for you over from shipwreck um, to this book um, that is helpful for others, whether it be helpful in um, providing space for other people um, who are in a different part of the road or helpful in terms of um, just taking that next step. What's how has the lens changed for you in how you're approaching the scriptures from from this last book to to this current one? Would you speak to some of that? Wow, yeah, that's a great question. Well, I, you know, one of the things that I think <laughs> that comes to mind, uh, even as you were talking at first, there, Jared, it was kind of a sense of. And I know, again, I'm putting this very broadly in terms of this Pentecostal context. It's so, I mean, I came from a world where I heard so many sermons and so much rhetoric about the narrow way, narrow way of Jesus. And it's all, now, of course, oftentimes that was really moralistic piety is what a lot of it was about. But there's so much language about the narrow way. So I, I think there's been this kind of shift in the last few years of just the oddness of when people who 
still to this moment have a lot of this language of the narrow way kind of look at things that you're doing and say, hey, well, that's obviously not God because that's not because it's not working, which I feel like would be the critique for <laughs> the kind of pushback that a number of us would get is people would say like, hey, well, you're you're doing this out here and like this isn't all that influential. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it, which is just so weird. <laughs> How's that paying off financially? That's right. That's right. What's, that, what's all this justice stuff doing to your speaking invites? Yes, yes, oh, yes. This, this racial analysis, uh, being involved with CPT, like, like, oh my goodness, like what people call out and call forth. Yeah, all that stuff. Well, and what makes it, you know, what makes it so wild is that I feel like the the accusation you'll so often get from the kinds from from these kinds of spaces that we know so well is this idea that somehow you're selling out to culture and that's always the thing that's so like really so the the folks that so openly will the most influence and power and do have all the photo ops and kind of all the things it's like so that becomes the that that's the way all of a sudden that this is somehow seen. It's just so it's 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 deeply deeply strange uh, to feel like then you almost uh, feel the need to kind of defend because because I mean I feel like anybody who goes on this kind of journey uh, it is very much one of 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 sacrifice, not in a sense of like being a martyr. I don't think of it that, that way at all, but or anything glamorous, but just this idea like no, it's. Uh, the the way of Jesus very much is a narrow way. I don't think nonviolent, self sacrificial love is ever going to be is ever going to exactly be popular. So yeah, it's just it's so interesting. I feel like that when as as we some of us feel that that tug and go on this kind of journey, that the accusation becomes somehow that you're being informed by culture and selling out to culture. I just that's. <laughs> That never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, John. Jared. No, no, you go, Drew. You go. Um, so it's, yeah, it's fascinating as you talk about, you know, this narrow way and the kind of moralistic pietism, right, that is kind of imagined on it. But uh, clearly you're imagining something much more holistic and healing and actually rooted in the person of Jesus Christ, right? This resurrected Christ. And so as uh, coming full circle back to where we began um, with Luke 24, mm. um, we'd like to have further conversation around this text. Uh, how's this inviting folks into uh, uh, a healing, redemptive, uh, narrow way in the delivering presence of God that actually provides hope and good news towards God's resurrected life? Mm. Well, one of the, for me, one of the most crucial invitations in the text, and this has just been exploding in my brain in the last few weeks, this idea that, okay, so in Luke 24, resurrections already happened, and Jesus mm -hmm. is already walking alongside of them, so there's no need for a further miracle. Right. Um, the idea is just there needs to be this awakening. There's this moment of recognition where in the breaking of the bread um, that they see Jesus for who he is. And I'm, this idea is just is so revolutionary for me in this moment that almost all the time, 
maybe all the time that recognition is the only miracle that we need. Resurrection's already happened and is happening, but there, I'm constantly in need of having my perspective renewed in order to see the ways that God has done this work already. And I, I just find that to be a tremendously liberating perspective because it doesn't require does it require another job? It doesn't require an, 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 another relationship. Like nothing in your life has to change. It's this idea of you're very much inhabiting the same world that you always have, but resurrection unlocks this capacity to be, to be able to see the life that we've already been living from this very different point of view. I just love the accessibility of that. Like there's at, at what place or at what point in any of our lives is that not a, a healing invitation? Take a look at your life uh, like a second time and be willing to see it from a different point of view, from the point of view of resurrection. Um, that, that for me, is just there, there's so much freedom in that, in that invitation in particular. Yeah, that's so good. And, and I'm always blown away by, and it's not even only in, in this story, but in other gospels as well, just the, the lack of recognition of Jesus right as they're in jesus's presence right which really gets at your point and i think there's just something really powerful about um recognition to see god's delivering presence at work in our world to see that god is near to recognize jesus in our presence in ways that sometimes um we can miss because we've in some ways allowed the the narrative of you know um that evil overcomes, right? To shape literally our lens, right? Um, and so, and what powerful ways to recognize anew, to see anew, um, and to encounter the world from that vantage point. It's just so powerful, I think. And I do think, um, I don't know, the other day I felt like I was in a moment, you know, you have these moments where you're just struggling, right? You're just struggling. Um, and, you know, despair wants to in some ways creep like you know like can god do anything in the midst of all this violence you know is is it just up to us right i think about um was it william jones the black philosopher you know is is god a a, a white racist right and he's not saying that because he actually believes god's a white racist but it's because he's like basically it's on us. We've got to do it ourselves, right? We can't count on God. Um, and you feel that pressure sometimes, but then um, to recognize that um, God has not left us alone, that God is present. It's just powerful. And sometimes it's just a really needed word. Yeah. Well, I love, I love that. That's so beautiful. The way you frame that Drew. And I think it's just this idea of where is God on the road that you're walking? I think, you know, so often, we're given a script where, um, well, I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to derail this, but I mean, I, it's just like in the same way that um, a lot of the ways I've read uh, that I read the Hebrew Bible has changed. I mean, there was a time where I read the stories of like, say, like God's getting ready to wipe out everybody and Moses interceding and pleading. And well, I thought the only place you could see God in that text is in the God character. Now I would say like, oh, actually, I don't think the main way we see God in that text is in the God character. It's in Moses. <laughs> and I, I like, I love that this idea that, you know, when the question becomes, where is God on the road that you're walking, then, you know, we're, it opens us up for all these kinds of surprises. So, you know, so maybe, so God's not in, maybe God's not in 
whatever's happening in dominant culture, or, or you know, maybe God's not in these places that we've are, are, have have been looking where we've been expecting. Uh, but oh, actually, um, God's you know, God comes to us in these ways that are that are endlessly surprising. Um, that for me has been part of the because you know I just think oftentimes when we when we're kind of operating from that other kind of script. Um, it, you're, there's only going to be deep disillusionment and disappointment if the idea that, it, you know, is there has to be some kind of conspicuous victory in order for it to be God. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And it's, it's fascinating in terms of the resurrection accounts that it's not only raises questions about why they didn't recognize Jesus, but how much we actually recognize Jesus prior to the crucifixion, mm. like despite the fact that he continues to say he has set his face like flint and, and this is where things are going, um, our complete rejection, and, and this is part of the Pentecostal Constantinian moment, right? Like this is uh, Pentecostalism no longer being like an alternative like side freak show, but a freak show um, that was like, multicultural it, it was like the empowerment of women it was amongst the poor it was but instead a um, direct imaging of the the um, power games and that lust to to be on top and not to turn the world upside down no inverses in play it's like actually no we'll just play chaplains to the way it mm. currently is um and did did we ever really see him beforehand mm. like the, the fact that we can't recognize him resurrected is is that directly related to the fact that we didn't really know what he was saying about the crucifixion and one of the things i find fascinating about your reflections just now drew and what you were sharing Jono, like in in terms of the book in terms what you invite people on um is part of the death that people are being called to is in these hopes that had so little to do with jesus one of the most beautiful sections of um, the book is where you talk about um, the Jesus I want to believe in and, and you name um, uh, like people that are dear to us, uh, uh, both living and those who are part of that um, great cloud of witnesses who um, whose lives look like that Jesus or whose lives point us to that Jesus that we want to believe in. Joe, would you invite people into some of that journey? Because um, you do leave so much room, but you also um, you, you, you don't shy away of the beauty that you have found. W- would you talk mm. to some of the Jesus you want to believe in? Yeah, you know, and it's uh, that's been such an interesting tension um, to to explore because, on the one hand, I'm not really a person who <laughs> this is here's how's this for an overgeneralization. I don't exactly believe in apologetics proper, really. I just don't. I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I know it's great, like, the sort of, like, you know, uh, give reason for the hope that's within you, but I feel like apologetics so often becomes some version of trying to intellectually bully somebody into, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and so, like, and so I don't find that, com- I don't find that compelling, and uh, so I don't want to coerce anybody, but at the same time, I mean, it is true that, maybe more so than ever, I am deeply convinced of the Jesus I've seen in particular people in my life. So part of what I really wanted to be able to do in 
in the book is point to some of those figures to point to some of those influences um, that, I mean, and I feel like it even sounds too soft to say they give me hope. It's more than that. I feel like I, there's a very real way in which I feel like I've seen Jesus in very particular lives and um, even using that phrase, uh, particular lives, um, one of the things that I kind of drive by, but I've thought about a lot uh, uh, more since, of course, you had really, you know, uh, one of the moments that changed my life was when you invited me to come with you to Proctor for the first time and sitting mm. at the feet of the, the luminaries Getting are there. To introduce but... you to OM3. Yes, yes. And, uh, and, and really... And OM3, you know, it's, I think about this all the time, how often in some of the kinds of spaces that we've been talking about, these kind of Pentecostal charismatic, oftentimes megachurch spaces, and evangelical-ish kind of spaces, there's no particularity. The idea is always like, how can we make this Jesus as general and kind of generalized as we possibly can so that we can draw everybody? Like we wouldn't want to offend ostensibly you don't want to offend anybody. So we'll keep the sermon general. We keep all these, you know, there's a lot of platitudes, that kind of thing. One of the things that so has so moved me and so shaped me now from um, going to Trinity United Church of Christ a number of times is the particularity of Christian identity there, mm -hmm. you know, um, unashamedly black, unapologetically Christian, and I feel like, you know, because the messaging that we often hear is that if you root in any kind of particularity, that that's going to be exclusive and it's going to be off-putting in some way. Part of what I find so interesting is like, I've never experienced a more radical welcome than I do in, in Trinity or places like Proctor. And I think it's precisely my sense of it is, but that precisely because this is a community that's rooted in particularity. And so I just think it's interesting how, how converse that actually works, that the more broad and general and mass appeal you try to go, actually, it's not all that welcoming or inclusive for anyone in particular, <laughs> whereas a particular people formed in a particular place by, you know, uh, by a particular story, I think that's where you actually have the capacity to um, to really welcome people who are outside that tradition and in all these ways that kind of break our, our imagination open. So that's that that would be one of the but that's certainly one of the examples uh, in the book in terms of things that's shaping me. Uh, but I, but I, but it's so different from that evangelical kind of model where, again, the idea is we don't want to talk about anything too specific about who we are or where we, we come from. Yeah. You, you were reminding me, um, Jonathan, so pre-pandemic, one of the things I did with students for my African-American theology class is I would send them out. They would all have to attend one Black Baptist church, one uh, AME mm. church, and one Black Pente Pentecostal church. And most of my white students um, that come into my African-American theology class, you know, they've never step foot in a black church ever. And in fact, many of them are not even comfortable going into Harrisburg, right? So I'm into mm. a majority black city. So I send them out and, you know, initially they're all nervous. I give them a little bit of instruction and stuff like that. And I break them into groups so that they're not all overcrowding any church. So they kind of broken into three and they visit and rotate. 
And then um, when they come back, I always, and ahead of time, I tell them they're going to get the best welcome that they've ever had. They're going to receive more hospitality than hospitality than they ever have. And, um, and then when they come back, they're blown away and they're like, you know, I got more hugs and they invited me back and they want me to come for dinner and this and that and blah, blah, blah. But I do think, um, you know, the groundedness in a particular story, right, an identity and to know who you are um, and then to be able to receive others in the context of that um, is something that defines the black church, right? Broadly, even, even black churches, I would say, um, I wouldn't even necessarily agree with theologically or some of their practices in some particular ways, right? But even still broadly, like that's just the norm. And I think that um, it's really beautiful to see how that, um, how entering into, as you call it, the particularity, right, of who Jesus is and the particularity of God's character and especially God's concern for oppressed and vulnerable people in the world, right, um, that we don't have to uh, smother, right, the the good news um, to make it palpable for mainstream audiences, um, but then that there is good news for everybody, right, in the midst yes. of that, even in the particularity. I am also um, intrigued um by your language in the book, um, you know, use the language of home. Mm. Um, uh, certainly in the back, it says, you know, honest words for those who feel the ache of leaving home. Um, but I also get the sense that home is a multifaceted term for you. Yeah. Um, and so you want to share a little bit? I mean, some folks, they're like, well, that sounds great, but I can't go back home. That's not a place for me, right? What are you imagining as you open up this language of home and this journey that people can be on? You know, Drew, when I um, I realized once I got a little further into writing, just how how little of of an instinct I had about really what to do with that question and how much I felt like I was really trying to, um, to, to write my way into an answer to discover something. Um, because I think what the part that seemed so clear to me that I, that I started with is this idea of leaving Jerusalem and what that means. But then the disciples do go back to Jerusalem in the end and so I was really wrestling with this idea of, I mean, sort of the ancient question of, can you ever really go home again? Because I think for so many, for so many of us, especially coming out of toxic spaces, I, I don't think coming back home or coming to a sense of home involves going back where you come from exactly. But I do think it involves a kind of coming full circle that means you don't get to ignore that part of your story and just simply bury it. That there still has to be a, like that kind of return to Jerusalem where, okay, these places at some point, and, and you know, I, I think that um, looks different for, for everybody. Um, again, especially coming out of toxic spaces, people need all kinds of time to heal. But I just find it interesting just kind of being around other people who have been on healing journeys, how it does seem like there's a place in time where spaces are revisited, even if it doesn't mean going back. Because think realistically, you never go back. Nobody ever really goes back. I don't think that's how it goes. But I think there are ways of, um, you know, again, of kind of coming full circle. So that's part of 
Um, that's part of what I try to uh, unpack a bit uh, in the book. You know, realistically, I think sometimes I, I know that this is one of the things I was uh, I felt a lot about too. The I love that in the story, the, these two disciples, in the very act of what would seem to be again leaving the community they come from become a new community just by sharing their pain. I think that's a bit, that's astonishing to me, really. They seem to just be having a really vulnerable conversation about their grief and Jesus being killed. So uh, in the very act of, and I mean, in Christian vernacular, it's like leaving church, they become a church just in, in sharing pain. And I think, you know, we've all experienced that uh, our deepest connections with other humans always come from a sense of sharing loss and sharing grief and sorrow, not like sharing victories. But then there's this other thing that I've found myself kind of grappling with uh, kind of a little bit further on the road because, and I really try not to say this um, in the book in any kind of a corrective way, but this idea that this new thing starts in many ways in terms of the church kind of post-resurrection from disciples sharing their pain and grief. But in order to have a sustained community, there has to be a, a, a way of share of shared joy, too. There has to be like, okay, what's where's the new life coming from now? And I think both of those things are, are equally important, that oftentimes the foundation, I think, where we start and something um, new and something beautiful does start with like sharing pain. But then there also has to be this idea that, you know, as we're walking together, okay, well, what's 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 giving us life right now? Where's their joy right now? It may not be where we were getting life before, but I still think shared joy is is really is really significant. And I think sometimes, in the same way that um, some of us might come from spaces where we didn't feel like we could share our trauma, didn't feel like we could share our pain. Sometimes I'm like, now you'd almost feel embarrassed to share your joy. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> what's your hidden joy? You know, what's the thing that actually is bringing life to you now that you might not feel like the freedom to to articulate in some ways? That's good. So good. So good. John, this is a really important offering to the world at this time. It is. I so appreciate that, friends. Well, I tell you, I really, um, and I, 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 th- I think about this a lot. You know, these, um, all of those nights, and you know, of with this community. The, I mean, because I mean, it's like everything we're talking about. This, the kind of breaking open of pain and trauma in a way that. Uh, wasn't there's no like direction, but there was, I, that's one of the things I, I think has been so beautiful. There's always this sense of people being able to go on whatever journey they need to go to. And it's, um, I just continue to be um, astounded by how, when that kind of deep grief is opened up, which I, 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 I've just seen happen so many times, like in this community, how inevitably when you follow that road all the way through, the kind of new life that that comes on the other side, which I think is counterintuitive because I think, you know, oftentimes people are afraid to explore their grief precisely because they think, well, if I, if I follow this path all the way, it's just going to be grief upon grief. And that's really not how it works. I think, 
you know, we, off, we often have to go deeper into the pain, deeper into the trauma uh, in order for there ultimately to be the possibility of, of new life. And uh, I just, I don't know, that's just, I'm just thinking of specific memories like within this community of seeing that happen of this grief that, you know, is, 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 is raw and it's not the kind of performative grief you get sometimes at funerals. Like this is just raw and there's no sense. So like, like you don't know necessarily where it's going to go, but when you're able to go into that grief on a journey together, which is what we have in the story, then I think that's when there's the possibility of it being a journey towards resurrection. Mm. Yeah. Blues. That's the blues. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, almost running in the background and as part of conversations having um, earlier today. So there's a, a book out in Australia at the moment called a another day in the colony and um, Chelsea's final chapter um, is called F hope. And it's really about mm. hope as a, uh, white construction. Um, and it got me thinking about uh, Miguel uh, De La Torre's, um, uh, what, what's that? What's that text actually called? Like the. Um, How was uh, the title? Yeah, I can't remember it. Um, uh, but uh, uh, about ho hope in hopelessness. Um, right, I, right. I can't find the title. Um, uh, right at the moment, and th there's this. Um, and as you were talking, John, I was thinking back to um, like first time I, I visited Trinity was 2014, but I think mm. the second time was um, uh, with a mate a couple of years later, and we were um, listening on the way to Coates's book. Is it Between the World and Me? Is that the one that's based on Baldwin's Letters to? Yeah. In terms of its, yeah. And the, the kind of, um, there's a, a, a prophetic rejection of toxic positivity that often gets called hope. Um, and once you're in that space, real joy can get at you, but you're surprised by someone you don't recognize. And it's often that deep communing and responding to an invitation of a stranger that that actually breaks open before you. And you realize that um, hope isn't something that we have to um, conjure up or um, affirm or speak out or whatever. Uh, but it's it's a grace, it's a gift, and it's got nothing to do with closing our eyes to the reality of what's before us. Um, but in a very strange way, which your beautiful meditation on this passage um, in this book shows that it's it's something that walks alongside you until mm. you can welcome it um, and is patient enough um, and playful enough. Like you, you talk about... Um, uh, not pranking, um, but being punked, right? Mm -hmm. Do you want to end on um, the, the punking relationship we have with the Holy Spirit? Yeah, it's just like, well, there's so much mischief in the text, and that's part of what I love, I love about it so much, is that there's no way that that's not intended. I mean, when the disciples are going on about their deep grief, seeing Jesus, you know, killed. And are you the only stranger here who, who doesn't know what's happened here these days? And Jesus, you know, epic comic timing of what things, which feels like a Monty Python moment. <laughs> the fact that Jesus, um, when they, 
are inviting him to stay. It's I think this is so fascinating. It specifically says that he acted as if he were going to go on. I mean, the phrase is like as if. It's like, wow. I mean, he's actually he he is he is playing with the disciples here. It's kind of he acts as if he's going on, which I think would clearly indicate that that he doesn't really have any intention. Of of continuing to go on without them, but he acts as if he's going to. So I just I just love this idea that, um, and I, I love that you gestured there, Jared. That because I feel like it's been it, talk about like oppressive uses of text. Mm-hmm. You know how much of my life my sense has been. I mean, because I, I feel like this, to this moment, it uh, I still get stressed out by this when I uh, kind of go back to some of these default settings. Am I believing hard enough? Am I sincere enough? I think today I'm at 72% belief. I think, or, or maybe I'm at 64% sincerity. How do I know when I cross the line? How do I know when I really mean the prayer? Have, you know, am I, am, is it coming from a deep enough place? Uh, you know, oh, oh, gracious. It's like, it's just so stressful when you feel like you've got to wish things into existence. It's one of the reasons why, and I'm really not to, trying to throw shade here, but some of uh, folks I who go on certain uh, kind of journeys into, you know, um, away from Christianity, but maybe into some other sort of new agey kind of spaces. It, it stresses me out just as much as any kind of prosperity gospel I've ever heard, because it's still, you still got to have the right confession. You still got to believe hard enough. You still got to wish, secret. you know, yes, that's right. Click your heels together three times. Oh, like it's it's, it's that just seems so labor intensive, <laughs> and, and, what I, and what I love about about this text so much is the idea is it's just about coming awake to what's really happening. To what, Jesus is actually God is walking alongside the disciples in this way that they haven't yet seen, and um, this idea of allowing this revelation of the real to, uh, which I know can be used in different contexts, but to, but to come to us in a way that's uncoerced and it doesn't have to be manufactured and it doesn't have to be worked up in some way, just more like it just has to be kind of walked out. And, and we see when it's time to see, that's one of the reasons why there are not trying to be, to make too many disclaimers, but throughout the book, I find myself using, going back a lot to this notion of, okay, like, you know, when do you see the resurrected Jesus? Like it's, well, when it's your time to see the resurrected Jesus. And so (laughs) it's very important for me, like in this moment, not to try to force that for people, but at the same time, this idea of coming alongside, you know, bearing witness, sharing stories, sharing our grief and our pain. Those are things I think that we can do. that are always going to go places that are good. That's so good. So good. As our uh, dear friend uh, Amber encourages a, a new framework for me, which is, um, you know, categorizing things as no good and so good. And this mm. is definitely the so good category. So we're so grateful for you. Um, and we're grateful for your witness. We're grateful for this powerful book. Um, people who are listening are only getting a small little glimpse. Um, so we're definitely encouraging folks to go out and get the road away from God. Um, I think it's going to be a gift for so many folks. It does seem so um, timely. It's pastoral. Um, and and I think, I don't know, at least as someone who works with young adults who are struggling right now, a lot of young adults. Um, yeah, this is going to be a gift for so many folks. So thank you. 
Oh, thank you so much, friend. I really, I'm so grateful for you, Jared, and this whole community is so um, inspirational to me. So I'm just, I'm thankful to be on this, to be on this journey together. And I, I hope that, again, being so shaped by so many of our experiences together, um, uh, you know, I, I hope there really is a, a sense of that, because I do really feel like in terms of just my own sense of awakening and coming to that kind of real hope, uh, I can't imagine that happening these last few years without um, the ways that I've come to see the face of God through these faces here. So I'm, I'm so thankful for each of you. Jono, would you pray for our listeners? I would love that. Thanks. Well, God, I'm just, uh, we're just so thankful for the gift of each other. And my simple prayer for any of our friends who are listening right now is that you, you would allow them in this moment, uh, whatever form that needs to take, but to come awake to the ways that resurrection has happened and is happening around them already. I pray for that grace, that kind of moment of recognition, that um, we would be able to see, the, see our lives as we've already been living them and experiencing them from a different point of view. And my sense right now, even um, Holy Spirit, is that uh, maybe this would just be a, a moment for some of us uh, because, uh, you know, so often we're, there's always the sense that we need you to do something else for us or we need something in our lives to change. And I just pray that right now, without anything else actually shifting externally, just for the kind of surprise that we read about in this text, where um, all of a sudden um, we, we just see new life where we haven't seen it before. We see it in the face of the stranger. We see, um, we see it in the way that things are unfolding in our lives, that we just, just have the grace to be able to see the ways that resurrection is already uh, working out all around us. We pray that you would just open us up, uh, wake us up. Name the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.